the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a ring of truth that is unmistakable. Knowing that you cannot find them all. And if you listen carefully, and sometimes even if you don't, you can hear that sound. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. Anything that we esteem more important than Jesus Christ is taking the place of God in our lives. Anything that has a a bigger priority in our lives than our relationship with Jesus Christ is an idol. And so we can make an idol out out of people, out of a relationship, out of possessions, out of money, uh, and 10,000 other things that we could make into an idol. And, and it's just as foolish for us and just as dumb for us to do that. In today's message, Pastor Dan will redefine the term idol. Oftentimes, when we read about idols or talk about idols, we think of these enormous gold statues covered in all sorts of expensive jewels and materials. And while some idols did and do resemble that mental picture, not all idols can look that way. A modern idol can be described as anything that takes central focus in your life. So examples might be TV, a relationship, or a job. Anything that takes away from your relationship with Jesus Christ is an idol. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 10 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't don't be teamed up or joined with unbelievers. Now, we usually apply that verse to marriage. Don't marry a non-believer. But that's not the context here. It's talking about any, any kind of relationship. We shouldn't yoke ourselves to unbelievers. Here's why. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so the command to us as believers in the New Testament is is we should not be yoked to unbelievers or non-believers. There's there's no agreement between uh, the temple of God and, and idols. There's no communion. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. What part does a believer have with an unbeliever? We're to come out from them. We're to live a separate life 
from them. God's called us out of the world. He's called us out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. And so we're to be set apart. We're to walk the narrow road that leads to life. And not the broad road that leads to destruction. Our life should be distinct. It should be different. So here, going back to Jeremiah chapter 10, he says, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. The signs in heaven here, is, it's, uh, it's not a reference to the, the sun or the moon or the stars or the phases of the moon or anything like that. Uh, which God, God intended to be signs for seasons, uh, Genesis 1.14. What it's talking about here, it's a, it's a reference to unusual events in the heavens, like an eclipse or comets or meteors. And the, the pagans, they saw these things when a, an eclipse would happen. They saw that as some kind of omen of bad things were to come, you know, or a meteor. They saw that as some kind of omen. And what the Lord says here is, don't be dismayed at these kinds of events in the heavens like the Gentiles are dismayed. And they're, you know, they're always, they were always trying to figure out, what does it mean? What does this sign in the heavens mean? And there are people like that today, you know, trying to figure out what it means. What does it mean? Remember several years ago, there was the guy who filmed, I think it was like three rainbows, Remember that video? Anybody remember seeing that? Uh, maybe it was just me. But it had like a million views on YouTube, so it was more than just me. It was like three rainbows, you know? And this guy, he's weeping, going, what does it mean? What does it mean? You know? He sees it as a sign. That's the kind of stuff that it's talking about here. But these Gentiles, they're dismayed at these signs in the heaven. And we're not to be like that. We're not to be like that. You know, we have the word of God. The word of God tells us, you know, all that we need to know. We don't need to look to signs in the heavens or three rainbows and what does it mean? We've got the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says the word of God thoroughly equips us for every good work. It gives us everything that we need to know for everything that we're going to face in life. He goes on in verse 3 to say, for the customs of the peoples are futile. Worthless. They're empty. All, all these things that the Gentiles look to and trust in, they're, they're, they're empty, they're worthless. And he, he now he explains kind of in a, in a mocking tone um, just how worthless their gods are. He goes on, he says, For one cuts a tree from the forest, The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, he cuts it down with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. And here he's describing how these, the Gentiles, the pagans, they they chop down a tree that was created by the true God. Uh, They, 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 you know, they uh, decorate it with silver and gold. They bring it into their house. They make it into an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver. They have to fasten it to the wall with nails and string so it doesn't topple over because it can't stand up on its own. And then they worship it as their God. They bow down and they worship it. 
He describes these idols made out of trees in verse 5. He says, they're upright. Now, the New King James says, like a palm tree. Uh, Your translation, it can also be translated um, like a scarecrow. And I think if you have the ESV or the New American Standard, it says scarecrow there. And that's the picture of this idol now propped up in their house that they've carved out of this tree. You know, it's like a scarecrow, you know, tied, fastened to the wall with nails. Like a scarecrow sitting out in a garden. And he says they, they, they can't speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. And he says, don't be afraid of them. For they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. They, they can't speak. They can't move. They must be carried. They can't do anything. They're powerless to do evil or to, to do good. And they're nothing to be afraid of. They're nothing to fear. It's, it's, you know, their gods are merely just, you know, decorated trees. And yet they're worshiping it. And he's, he's just describing to us the futility of the things that these people are trusting in. Why would you trust in those things? It's just a tree. They've decorated. Now, let me just say a couple things about these verses that kind of apply to today. First of all, based on these verses, based on this passage, some Christians today conclude that they should not have a Christmas tree in their house or even celebrate Christmas because the description that's given here, it sounds like the description of a Christmas tree. You cut it down, you bring it in, you decorate it with silver and gold, you fasten it to the wall and it's standing upright there uh, in your house. And so some Christians based on these verses say, oh, you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. If that's your conviction, that's, that's fine. I'm not trying to change your conviction on that. If, if that's something that the Lord has put upon your heart, uh, that's fine. But I do want to say, Jeremiah is describing Gentiles here, non-believers. He's describing pagans who set up a tree in their house as an idol, as a god, to worship it. And they're bowing down to it. And they're trusting in it as their god. The, the modern Christmas tree is not an idol. Uh, we're, not, you know, we're bringing a tree into our house, we're decorating it, but we're not bowing down to it and worshiping it. At least you shouldn't be. If you are, well, that's a different thing. But it's just a tree for us at Christmas time. So Jeremiah was not talking about Christmas trees here. Again, if that's your conviction, you know, if, it, if it's sin to you, then it's sin to you. But Jeremiah is not forbidding Christmas trees, and I think it's okay uh, to have a Christmas tree if you want to have a Christmas tree and celebrate Christmas. I just don't bow down and worship it as God. So that's one thing I would say about this. The second thing I would say about this is, you know, we, we can read this passage and this description and we can think, well, how foolish were these people that they would worship a tree as their God? How, how dumb is idolatry? Well, listen, anything that is more important to you than Jesus Christ is an idol in your life. It's an idol. Anything that we esteem more important than Jesus Christ is taking the place of God in our lives. Anything that has a a bigger priority in our lives than our relationship with Jesus Christ is an idol. And so we can make an idol out out of people, out of a relationship, out of possessions, out of money, uh, and 10,000 other things 
that we could make into an idol. And, and it's just as foolish for us and just as dumb for us to do that uh, as, as these people. And most of all, it's just as futile. It's just as worthless to trust in those things. And so now we go on here in verse 6. Look at verse 6. What, what he does now in verse 6 is Jeremiah begins to describe the uniqueness of Jehovah. Here, the people of Judah, they've turned to these idols, which are just, they're just tree stumps that they've decorated and made, made to look pretty, and they're worshiping trees as their God. And here now, he's going to describe the uniqueness of Jehovah as if to say, why in the world would you pursue another God? We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Why would you go after these idols? There's, there's nothing that compares to Jehovah. And as much, verse 6, as there is none like you, O Lord. There's none like you. You are great, and your name is great and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. He says there's none like Jehovah. He deserves to be worshipped as the King of the nations. He goes on in verse 7, For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. He says, you can search all the nations and and find the wisest man there is among the nations. And his wisdom is nothing compared to the wisdom of God. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. But they, verse 8, and, and the they here in verse 8, is, uh, it's those who worship these idols. They are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine or worthless teaching. He says they're, they're dull Hearted, those that worship these idols, they're dull hearted. Your translation might say stupid there. It says they're stupid. They are stupid and foolish, he says, because they, they think a piece of wood can teach them. They're looking to a block of wood for their answers. The Lord says that's just stupid, it's just foolish. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz, the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the metalsmith. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled 
men, it's talking about their idols here. They decorate their idols with the, the finest gold and the finest silver any, from anywhere in the world and with the most expensive fabrics. Uh, the, the blue and purple are their clothing. In ancient times, blue and purple were very expensive fabrics. Uh, they were usually owned by the wealthiest people or even royalty. That's why they're associated, purple's associated with royalty. Uh, and the reason being is because the blue dye that was used to create those fabrics uh, was so rare and so difficult to acquire that it made it very expensive. Uh, the blue came from one of two sources. There was this um, snail that is found in the Mediterranean Sea that in one of its glands it had this blue uh, liquid that you could get a small drop out of each snail that they would use that to dye the fabrics. And so it was very labor-intensive, very expensive. The only other place they got blue for fabrics was from a root of a tree that grew only in Thyatira. And that was the only place you could extract this. Again, it was very labor-intensive to get it. If you remember in the book of Acts, Lydia, she was a a merchant of, of blue. She was from Thyatira. It's, it's probable that she was importing, exporting this blue dye that was extracted from the roots in the trees, a particular tree, in the area of Thyatira. So it was very, very expensive uh, to produce blue and purple fabric. And here are these idols. They're dressed in blue and purple as their, as their clothing. And the point that Jeremiah is making here is that the Gentiles would take a a tree, a piece of wood, they would take it to a craftsman who who would create, you know, a beautiful carving out of it. Then they would decorate it with the finest materials, with the most expensive gold and the most expensive silver and the finest fabrics for clothing, blue and and purple uh, clothing. Um, And they they would put all of these embellishments on it, but it's still just a piece of wood. Still just a piece of wood. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you embellish it or how much you dress it up. It's still just a piece of wood that can't do anything for you. The, the embellishments do not transform it into a living God. Now, what's the application for us today? Here's one application for us today. Uh, there, there may be religions that have... Uh, a very beautiful components to it. There may be religions that are just beautiful, maybe have beautiful buildings, uh, maybe have beautiful words that are written, uh, beautiful people that are part of that religion. But that doesn't make it true. That doesn't make it true. These idols were beautiful. But they weren't true. And just because something is, is beautiful or embellished with beauty, great beauty, that doesn't make it true. Jesus is the only way to God. Even if you have another religion that is very beautiful and, and its writings are very beautiful and its ceremonies have all these beautiful qualities to it, uh, that, that beauty doesn't mean truth. Jesus said that he is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. He's the only, the only way. So now verse 10, 
But the Lord is the true God. See, I told you. He is the living God. And he's the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods they have not made the heavens uh, and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Jehovah is the true God. They are false gods. He is living. They are lifeless. He is eternal. They will perish. He is powerful. They are powerless before him. Again, why would anyone worship another God other than Jehovah? Now, verse 11, if you're a note taker and kind of a a Bible geek like me, verse 11 is an interesting verse that you should take note of because it's actually in the, in the original, it is actually an Aramaic. It's an Aramaic. It's not in Hebrew. Most of the old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, There's some passages in Ezra and Daniel that are in Aramaic. And then there's this one verse in Jeremiah that is in Aramaic, verse 11. Some scholars believe that it's possible that what Jeremiah says here in verse 11 was a common saying or a proverb that was known in the culture of that day in Aramaic rather than Hebrew, and that he just brought that right into the text. Uh, We have that in our language today, in English. We have phrases that we have borrowed from other languages that have just become common to us in the English language, like que sera, sera, right? Or c'est la vie, right? These are borrowed from other languages, but they are part of the English language. And it's believed that this Aramaic phrase or proverb was just borrowed and brought into the Hebrew, and Jeremiah stays true to it here, and just uses it and writes it in the Aramaic. Just a simple and nice little trivial fact there for you that you can kind of file away in your mind. Um, So going on now in verse 12, speaking of the Lord Jehovah, he made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. Now listen to what it says in the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, speaking of Jesus, for by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, And for him. So in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus Christ created all things. Here it says Jehovah God created all things. Now, how can that be? Jesus is Jehovah. He's Jehovah God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Paul would say, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. When he, God, utters his voice, There is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Speaking of rain here and storms, Jehovah is the one who brings rain. Now, uh, the Gentiles worshipped a god named Baal. He asked me how I know. 
When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile, but think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful, but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know his voice and it only takes Rings true.